All right, welcome to another edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. This is John Krasinski with Pittsburgh Soccer. Now, um, we are. I'm very excited. We're going to have uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds are starting their season Saturday night. We have a big, uh, big matchup, uh, playoff rematch between the Hounds and Birmingham Legion FC, and it's uh, the the Riverhounds are coming off a um, a preseason where they have given up. Uh, only one goal, uh, at least in the games that were counted, and that goal was against Pitt, uh, a goal from Philip Merkovic. And the Hounds uh, otherwise have looked pretty good defensively. I think offensively they're still kind of a work in progress, uh, but we will see how that looks as the uh, season kicks off very shortly on Saturday night at Birmingham. Um, so looking forward to that, and uh, we're going to have a very special guest uh, here on the podcast, uh, Devin Kerr, uh, who is a USL championship and analyst. Uh, he's also been uh, <laughs> kind of a jack of all trades. He's been working on a, a couple other uh, forums, uh, in, including uh, the MLS coverage uh, through the Apple TV. Uh, so Devin has been a uh, previous guest on the podcast, and uh, he's a guy that knows the USL championship inside and out. Uh, and knows uh, the, a lot about, seen a lot of Riverhounds teams play under Bob Lilly over the years and has a really good perspective uh, of the game. And I believe he was on the call um, uh, for the Hounds-Birmingham match as well on behalf of the USL Championship uh, uh, on ESPN+. Plus. So uh, Devin will have a real good perspective. And, uh, of course, the Hounds will be taking on Birmingham. Again, that was a playoff rematch last year. Uh, Birmingham took a one nothing lead uh, well late, late, late into the match. And then, of course, Edward Kiza came out of nowhere and scored the, um, the winner, the, uh, the game-tying goal, uh, very late in, regular, in stoppage time. And then in extra time, the same magic happened. The Hounds were trailing again, 2-1. to one. Kiza delivered. Uh, and then this time, uh, the, the, the match went to penalty kick shootout. And the Hounds were uh, fortunate to come away with, come away with the win uh, in the extended marathon penalty kick shootout. So now they're back in the first match of the season. It's going to be the River Hounds against Berm, uh, Bethlehem's. Uh, I'm sorry, Birmingham's uh, Legion FC. So we're um, should be a great match. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to talk to Devin uh, right now. We're going to get him on the hotline here. All right, so uh, with me now, Devin Kerr, USL Championship analyst, really the lead analyst for USL Championship um, on broadcasts on ESPN Plus and ESPN Family and Networks. Uh, also, you've gotten uh, jumped right into the uh, MLS coverage, uh, as I see, uh, with the Apple TV uh, um, coverage there uh, as well. Um, and, of course, we've talked to you in the past about the college game and Pitt, and you've done the analyst work for the College Cup and a lot of uh, ACC Network uh, telecasts as well. Devin, uh, welcome back to Sounding Off on Soccer. I appreciate you having me, John. Yes, uh, as if I could add more to my plate, right? Already the lead analyst for USL and for NCAA on ESPN, doing the CONCACAF World Feeds, getting to cover the Gold Cup and Champions League. And, um, you know, I've been very blessed that MLS and Apple were kind enough to include me in their roster of analysts for the upcoming season. I've had a blast so far, but yeah, USL right around the corner. Let's get into it. The Hounds, they're back, yeah. baby. They are back, and I, you know, I, it's, I just did a piece today of my Hounds Notebook I'd usually do once a week, and 
And I started to get into looking at, you know, where they are and where Birmingham Legion FC are and where they were last year. They met in the playoffs and now they're going to meet to open the season. And it's interesting that the Hounds finished that match and a lot of the veteran leadership, well, not so much leadership, but a lot of the additional veteran support really important cast of characters that they brought on at the beginning of last season sort of faded into the night and it was their young players it was Edward Kiza, it was Jamali Waite, it was a, a bunch of substitutes that came in and Bob Lilly went into the offseason really hope, looking to not so much really just take a look a hard look and go you know what we're going to go younger this, this coming year and it might be a real good thing and Birmingham, on the other hand, went the opposite direction. They went out and picked up Tyler Pasher. They picked up Nico Brett, two names that we know here in Pittsburgh. Um, so I think it makes for a pretty fascinating mat- first first game of the season. It's certainly a good matchup. You know, the, the great thing about this league, I think we should start off with, is player retention. I talked about this on with Jason Davis on United States of Soccer and Sirius XMFC that a couple of years ago, really like 2017, 2018, if you could keep 10 players, you were looked at as an anomaly in the best of ways. Now, that is a prerequisite for success within this league. So you're not just seeing teams keeping 10. Teams are keeping 14, 15, 18 players. Of course, we have to look at what the previous year's success or lack thereof looked like. We take a team like Louisville City who kept 22. Birmingham Legion have done the exact same thing. That's unbelievable. The key question for Birmingham is always going to be strikers. Right? Pittsburgh probably is in the same argument here, but the good news is is they have kept a lot of really good players. I do agree with you that Bob Lilly seems to have gone off the beaten path in the sense of we don't necessarily see some of the big names like the Russell Cicerones or the Danny Griffins or the Alex Dixons anymore, but there's still plenty of young talent on this squad for sure. Yeah, so actually, why don't we do this? Let's look a little bit at Birmingham's additions and what your thoughts on Birmingham are uh, in what this, what they, they might be looking to do something different. They were really tried to be a high-pressing team last year, but uh, there's the, the level of talent that they have now in the attacking front, um, in the attacking midfield. Um, I don't know. Is that something that we might still might see from them, or what are you anticipating? So I, I, I'm with you on that. I, look, I just mentioned player retention. Matt right. Van Ockel is going to be 37 years of age <laughs> this year. He's still one of the best goalkeepers in the league, right? Yeah. So you have to stay on him. Um, the back line still has most of its core. Alex Cronali and Fanuel Cavita will lead the two center back spots. And even if they shift into a three, they're capable of it. The question mark for me is going to be who takes over at left back spot and right back spot. Right back was Johnny Dean. He took off to the Chicago Fire in MLS. Left back had kind of fluctuated between a few players. Mikey Lopez was one that they became very comfortable with over the past two seasons. He suffered a season-ending injury, so he's out. Jake Roof is someone who they've used in that spot before. Uh, Freddie Kleeman was another one who's no longer there. Um, he's taken off to another team, and we can chat about that in a little bit. But I, I really wonder, you know, do they sit in a four or sit in a three? Tom Sohn has taken a lot of pride as to what that looks like, so that could affect some of their personnel. So what do the outside back spots look with? The midfield's good. Not great, it's good. They lose Bruno Lapa, but he sort of fell out of favor anyway. It's a midfield that's just going to get the job done. I don't see Anderson Asidu 
blowing people off the field. They lost tax Zach Haravo to the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They did retain Enzo Martinez, who's coming right. off of a MVP-type season. But you hit the nail on the head right out of the gate, up front. They needed a number nine. They haven't had one since 2019, their inaugural year. They kept Juan Agadello. They right. kept Prosper Kasim, who's a versatile attacking component. But the two most important pieces, Tyler Pasher and Nico Brett. These guys have the ability to play in any sort of system that you want and find success, and they've done so for the better portion of a half decade. Tyler Pasher has done it in USL. Mm-hmm. He's done it in MLS. Play him on the right flank, on the left flank, in the nine, down underneath. He's comfortable anywhere. Tons of speed. A little bit linear at times. Right. But that's going to be good for the way that this team is going to attack because they like to have players underneath, and you can play over the top and he'll stretch the game. Nico Brett isn't an out-and-out number nine in the sense of he's not going to chase in that fashion. He'll put pressure, but he's better with the ball at his feet. Yeah. This gives them a multitude of looks up top. We haven't seen it. So no longer are they looking at one striking option. Now you're looking at three or four deep. That's much more suited for success for the Birmingham Legion. Yeah, it's interesting how Bob Lilly will counter, too. I remember when Tyler Pasha was on an absolute tear in Indy. Bob Lilly had him marked with Danny Rovera in one or two, both games, just shadowing yep. him everywhere he, he went. Mark him. Yeah. Yeah, and he didn't and it kinda worked for ninety three minutes and then I think in the ninety fourth minute Tyler let let loose a, a shot that was just unstoppable, I think, from outside the box. But you know, they let him loose a little bit. But you know, and then Nico, we're very familiar with both players, especially Nico, uh here in Pittsburgh. But yeah, I mean, Nick Nico's journey's been interesting. Uh we had a we were talking about it on a previous podcast earlier in the preseason about you know, we were looking at the the history of the Hounds players in the last ten years at Highmark Stadium, mm-hmm. and um, it it seems like a lot of guys maximize their time when they're here, and then when they go elsewhere, they maybe their production drops off a little bit. Nico's been pretty good, but he hasn't been he hasn't been at the numbers that he was in when he was in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I still think both of them can be very valuable contributors to Birmingham, but um, I don't know what do you what are your thoughts in terms of how the ha- the Hounds will you know, defend. I, I, they, it was interesting because they played four two three one against Birmingham through all three times last year, and mm-hmm. uh, that's what they were looking at, like in the preseason match too. Uh, the last one against Louisville, um, where they went with four four in the back. Yeah, I, I would expect four. It, it's easier in that sense. I know that sounds weird, but the communication factor where players are lined up on the field this early on in the season, four is usually easier now. Let's be real clear. I'm not saying they're going to play a four because if there's anything that I've learned over the past couple of years, you know, is with Bob is that <laughs> Bob can do whatever he wants and he's going to find a way to get success. So, you know, make sure you're holding merit in that aspect. Look at the defending core. Right. You lose Jelani Peters to Memphis, right? You lose Shane Weed to Sacramento Republic. To me, the most important part of the defending core is actually midfielder and Danny Griffin, who goes to Huntsville City. 85 appearances, 82 starts, the Iron Man for this team. But he helped defensively hold down the center. He could drop onto the back line. We've seen that. He could actually play center back if need be. So I see them sitting in a four. Bob's also added good center back players. Yeah. Joey Farrell, who is his Rochester Rhinos guy from back in the day. Michael DeShield's good center back, looking for some playing time. Arturo Ordonia is still good. And then you've got guys just kind of scattered around. The Danny Rivera's, the Nathan Dos Santos's. Tony Lopez is an interesting piece coming out of NISA. 
So I see them sitting in a four. That also gives Bob the ability to test some of these guys out on the wings because there are strikers up top for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you've still got Edward Kizza. You've still got Albert Dequa. D.V. Harmon is an interesting pickup that he's going to try and mold a little bit. Yeah. But the wings are where I look. So wh- what can he get out of those? If he sits in a four, do you want to play Nathan Dos Santos as the marking back or do you want to push him into the midfield? Do you feel like Burke Failing has the ability to get to the wide side? We saw Robbie Mertz play out there as well, and they got a little bit narrow because of overlapping runs in a good way because you could add him to the midfield. I do see him in a four, um, you know, probably more so sitting with two in the midfield, 4-2-3-1, something like that. But the most important thing here isn't necessarily the, the lineup. It's what he looks to do defensively. Right. How uncomfortable is he going to, to make Birmingham Legion with the group that he has, does he feel that they have the ability to defend high up on the field and press? Because that's an MO of a Hounds team for quite some time. They make you turn the ball over. Their line is already reset very high. That's when they get you with guys like Canardo Forbes and Robbie Mertz. Now, two years running, we've seen the open game because of how good guys like Russell Cicerone were playing because the speed was there. Right. But you just lost 67% goal contributions. He had... 45 goal contributions, 31 goals and 14 assists in 67 games. Yeah. Now that's gone. Alex Dixon, whether he's in a wingback on the right side of the midfield or jumping up to help next to Cicerone, that's gone too. So you've lost a lot of speed. I mentioned Kiza Harmon and, and Dequa, but still, this takes time, so I don't see them pressing that much. But that will be the key component for me is how quickly they try and trace Birmingham Legion. And if they do, how long can they hold it? Yeah, well, again, I, I watched them enough in the preseason, and key, uh, both Mertz and Forbes were, were in the wider uh, attacking spots, and he put Kiza underneath Albert Dequa. So that'll be interesting to see if they do that. I think it'll depend on who they face and if they do that or, or drop. But the two, uh, Junior Etu, Etau, or is it Etu? Uh, Etu. Yeah, yeah like from, Etu from, from uh, Tampa last year and had previously, I think, been with Charlotte, but... Uh, that's yeah. a guy who I think can hold down the fort, and they were talking. Uh, he's had Mark Gabara, a younger player, second-year player, um, yeah. possibly pairing him up as the two holding mids, and then trusting the fact that Canardo and Robbie can do some stuff there. Uh, it can be the playmaking guys, and hopefully setting up Kiza and Dequa. I mean, that's kind of what I think Bob has in mind, but we'll see. Yeah, my favorite thing about the team defensively at their best is is when he had and I'm actually going to um, prior to Robbie Mertz's departure, I believe that was the 2020 season if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, yeah, Robbie Mertz had just come out of college with um, with the University of Michigan Marky Barr, another one of the Michigan guys but he's a local guy and so he had trained with the Hounds for, for quite some time uh, 19 I see was his first year right. so was that in 19 or 20 but I remember the, the best that I saw that team was it was Mertz, Griffin, and Canardo Forbes, and they used to hunt in packs together. So it was primarily in a three-back system, but it allowed the midfield three to overload. So what you saw a lot was if the ball was on the, on the near side of the field, a lot of times in a system like that, you'll see one pitch underneath and one might come, and the other will hold the weak side if the ball gets sprayed through um, centrally. That wasn't the case here. Mm-hmm. They would actually pinch the entire part of the field so three would come in and they would challenge 4v1 or 4v2 because they knew even if they didn't win the ball, they had disrupted the flow of the play 
and usually the team had to play negative. Right. That's what I'm looking to see here. So if you play junior underneath, if Marky Barra gets a little bit more up to speed than we saw last season, you know Robbie and, Cam- and Canardo can frustrate people. That's yes. not a problem at all. But the third Musketeer, what does that look like? What does the shape look like? And how much are they are they trying to push the tempo in the midfield? Junior Etu is a good shout. I, I loved him, to be honest, when he was in Charlotte. Let's just say that politically, things didn't end up the way that they wanted it to right. be. A lot went on behind the scenes, and I'll respect that privacy. Right. Tampa Bay Rowdies, he was an asset piece, right? Like, you are a depth piece that's going to come in behind a Lewis Hilton. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they had so many players in the midfield that fulfilled that role in the best of ways. And so he just kind of got caught in a substitute-style um, position, and that's okay. Bob will use him more because this kid wants to work, and he listens, too. Yeah. And and as far as Marky Barr, I, he is not the best, but he's one of the better holding midfielders that I've ever seen in college. And I've covered NCAA for six seasons now. I've seen it for a lot longer than that. And as a freshman, I saw this kid control the entire field. Yeah. The difference is, is you're not a freshman in college anymore. Right. You are a second-year pro playing second division in the United States. You've got a job to do, and Bob Lilly is very demanding. So if anybody's going to get the best out of Marky Barra, mm-hmm. I expect it will be this year to make a major jump, and, and hopefully that's what happens because I do think the young man is talented enough. Well, I think that's something Riverhounds fans would love to want to hear that because uh, I don't think we, we saw bits and pieces last year and, and Mark had a chance in late in the, the playoff games to be involved as well and had that experience under his belt now too. So so I think that's a good thing. Um, Devin, while I still have you here um, for a few more minutes, uh, I just, I'm just curious in terms of, I know you've, you've been uh, kind of out there uh, previewing the, the championship uh, here, I think we, we really want to know what you know the Eastern Conference looks like. Is 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 it the same? It always seems like same cast of characters. I know Birmingham really has upgraded their you know in terms of their talent level. Um, Louisville, we just saw them, but you, like you said, twenty some team players back. And yeah, um, what, what are your thoughts? And are there going to be any surprises? I mean, we know there's Miami and Detroit are lurking and. Tampa is always going to be there, um, but what are your thoughts on how things will shake out this year? I, I wouldn't say that Birmingham added like really reloaded. They just added attacking talent for the most part. Right. Um, you know, they lost a lot in the midfield, and, and we'll see if they make any changes there to get a little bit better. But they really just added attacking pieces, and they've still got good goalkeeping, good good defending. Louisville is still the odds-on favorite for sure. The Tampa Bay Rowdy is not far behind them. To me, like the biggest changes that we saw are probably going to be with a team like Indy 11. Indy 11 is a team that Mark Lowry came in. You have to double-check me on this stat, but it's either six or seven. Seven might be right by the amount of players that he kept the last season. And most of those guys were already on contract. So no disrespect to the talent level there. It just wasn't what he wanted in the style that he wants to play. But this is year two. They spent money. Yeah, They kept the quality that they had brought in. But they added a lot more quality, especially in the top four. Juan Tejada was part of the trade last season for the Tampa Rowdies that brings him in. That's on Nicky Longo there. But now you have Juan Tejada who's going to chase. He'll do anything you ask him to. You've got Gwenzotti, Sebastian Gwenzotti, Jonas Felberg, and Solomon Asante. That's an incredible front line. And listen to this stat. Solomon Asante and Sebastian Gwenzotti, since 2019, have accounted for 80 goals 
and 75 assists mm. between the two. That's 155 goal contributions. That right there would scare me enough, mm-hmm. except underneath <laughs> them is Brian Rebillon, who came last year from El Paso. They just got Aiden Quinn yeah. from Phoenix Rising. Jack Blake came from San Diego. Cam Lindley from Colorado Springs. That may be the best midfield in the league. It could end up being the best attacking option in the league. The only question here is going to be defense. Mm-hmm. All of these guys can play. Lowry wants to put the ball on the deck for sure, but defensively, that can they do it? Everybody else around the league, Memphis is going to look revamped. Don't see them finishing in, in second or a top four spot, but we'll see. The Charleston Battery, which sees the former head coach of Memphis yeah. and Ben Pierman, Lee Cohen, the former president of the Rowdies, are together now. They're coming off their worst season in 30 years. they got a good goalkeeper, decent back line. They're just sort of solid on around. Detroit's lost a little bit. Hartford's got Tab Ramos. There's a lot of question marks about some of kind of the middle-of-the-road teams. But for the most part, you're going to hear the same names over and over again. You're going to hear about Louisville. You're going to hear about the Rowdies, Pittsburgh, Indy. And then it's kind of who else wants to step up. Can Pittsburgh get it together? Do they have enough on the attacking front? What does the defense look like? Tulsa's, you know, under Sam Dore, a new head coach, Blair Gavin. They're solid all over. That team is going to be fighting for a playoff spot. We're going to see a lot more of that this season. The Eastern Conference is extremely deep. It's the best that we've seen them ever, and it's probably the best conference in the USL Championship right now. Well, so I would say more than ever, the Hounds will never have a day off. I mean, Loudon even, some of the players in Loudon's roster, and and they're going to be independent now, and um, I think that probably bodes well for competitively. Uh, for them, and uh, it'll be interesting. I don't know about this year, but but they they definitely could be a, a, a more of a long term factor than we we thought they could be. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's it, there's no nights off in the, in the Eastern Conference, and now they have to travel a lot too. I mean, Louisville's going out west, and it's going to be pretty crazy as far as the schedules this year. Yep, yeah, I'm with you again, and then that's fun stuff. Unless we forget that, like you said, the cross conference is just the best. So, yeah, you may not be able to sleep in the East, but I'm not taking anything away from the West. The East is certainly up their game, but the West, yeah. Phoenix Rising is, is redone. Um, you know, Orange County has gone out and added some pieces to their stable. San Antonio is going to look to repeat. Monterey Bay, I really like what they've done. RGV look good. This is going to be an awesome season in the USL Championship. Well, we will be paying close attention, obviously, here in Pittsburgh to the Hounds, but uh, where, where are you going to be on uh, this weekend? What what broadcast do you have? Believe it or not, and I and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, uh, neither Mike Watts nor myself are oh. on a game opening week. Opening There's no week. nationally televised game for USL. Right. Um, and we had we had prior commitments, but week two, week two, my first game. I see the last year's champion San Antonio. They'll travel across country to the Eastern Conference to do battle against Loudoun United. So that will be my first game. All right. Well, that sounds good. We'll be uh, we'll definitely be watching. And uh, Devin, again, as always, really appreciate your time and being part of uh, on on the podcast and previewing. Uh, you went we went a little over, but I appreciate always appreciate your time. Always. Thanks, brother. Best of luck to you and your guys. All right. Thanks, Devin. Take care. Cheers, brother. All right. Bye. And that was Devin Kerr, and uh, you know, interesting feedback from him. Uh, he's thinking. The team to watch out for might be in the in the eleven this year, uh, and that is true. I mean, when you look at that firepower at the top, um, a lot of new players kind of being put into that system. Um, so it's always interesting to see how quickly teams that bring bring it all together if they can turn it around quickly. Um, but 
for this upcoming, uh, you know, Riverhound season. I, I think he's Devin has given us some really good perspective, and I I, I kind of agree with him. I think that the the Hounds, um, I think their midfield, you know, especially against Birmingham, I think will be solid and can can keep possession. Um, should be able to uh, at least dictate terms as much as they can. Uh, they pretty much did that last year, even in the playoffs on the road against Birmingham and then against Louisville. And they did that last week against Louisville when they got their act together and they weren't just um, rushing and playing long balls. Um, so if they com- stay committed and keeping the ball on the ground, I think the Hounds will, will do some good things. Uh, so, all right. Well, we appreciate Devin's uh, being on the podcast. And uh, this is our um, one podcast for this week. Um, But I would say stay tuned. We will probably have one more uh, leading up to the Hounds opener on Saturday night in Birmingham. So again, thanks for joining me on Sounding Off on Soccer. This is John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now.